Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be with you all this afternoon, my first time. I've been looking forward to this day, in fact. Um, yeah. So usually when we pastors visit another church, we say greetings from this and that church, but that is totally unnecessary. So just keep that part and... Uh, Let's open our Bibles in First Chronicles, chapter 22. So currently I'm preaching from, um, I'm going through a series in the book of First Timothy uh, with the church in North Arlington. But as it was when Pastor Joe invited me to come, I... I've been praying and thinking about you guys, and the Lord has laid in my heart this passage uh, in First Chronicles chapter 22. And um, I went through this passage. I'm reading through the Old Testament for my devotionals, and I have such a wonderful time in just going through the book of Chronicles myself and praying and learning from the word uh, of Chronicles. The... The Lord put, again, the Lord put in my heart to share this passage with you. So we're going to be reading from chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 5 to verse 19. Again, ch- chapter 22, verse 5 to the verse 19. So this is a, just to highlight, this is a fresh message, right? This is the first time I'm preaching this sermon because uh, 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 I believe the Lord has something to tell you from his word. All right? So let's read his word. Verse 5. Chapter 22, verse 5. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity quantity before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had in my heart to build a house to the Lord, to the name of the Lord my God. But a word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name. Because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. And I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, so that you may succeed in building the house of the Lord your God, as he has spoken concerning you. Only may the Lord grant you discretion and understanding, that he may give you charge over Israel, and may keep the law of of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Be not. Do not be dismayed. 
With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond waiting. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided. To this you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. So David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon, his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you peace on every side? For he has delivered inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and his people. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that the ark of the covenant of, of the Lord and the holy vessels of God may be brought into a house built for the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you had given us. And as we Listen to your word, we pray, speak to us. Holy Spirit, help us, all of us, to not only hear, but give us grace to apply what we are going to hear. Holy Spirit, may help me to communicate as your word, as I ought to do with confidence, knowing myself, but in your word. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What is, the, what is the greatest or the most important legacy that a kingdom-minded leader can leave on earth? A church building that, that is paid off? Or a decent savings account that will help the church to buy a building or renovate the old one? Maybe a larger church property than when the pastor started. Maybe a double membership role, right? Perhaps the, most, the more spiritual of us would say that a good legacy of a pastor might be a church that reproduced itself, a church that planted other, other churches. What do you think? Plant other churches, pay off the church debt, pay a building, a, buy a building, and seek to grow the church are all good things. And to some extent, leaders should strive for those things. But the question remains. What is the greatest and the most important legacy that a kingdom-minded leader can leave on earth? So I asked these questions to one of my seminary professors, and he is the dean of the leadership um, development and, and this is what he said, and I quote, I would argue it is a next generation of faithful fathers of Jesus Christ who will do greater things than that the leader has ever done. In other words, the legacy of a kingdom-minded leader is his people.
I intend to show you this morning that the greatest legacy that a pastor can leave is directly linked to his people. And before I share some outlines with you, which you have in your handout, let me give you a little bit of context so that you can situate yourself in this narrative. Right? After decades of waging war with the surrounding nations, David rested from war in the last years of his reign. So he enjoyed a, piece of, a time of peace and unification of his kingdom. In chapter 22, we see the speech of an experienced leader who is about to pass the crown to the next king, his son, Solomon. So these words are from a man who walked with God through the up and downs of life. For a man who learned the hard way that the Lord requires obedience, not sacrifice. David was a man who, when the Lord spoke to him, he listened attentively. When he was rebuked, he was quick to repent and worship. The Psalms shows that David was not afraid to own his own sins. And confess them before the Lord. Because he knew by experience that God is not only a theological concept, but a true living God that a person can relate to. In David, we do not see a perfect leader, but a genuine, God-fearing man who not always got things right. Another important detail about the context is to whom the author of Chronicles is writing to. He wrote to the post-Babylonian exile community. He's writing to the Israelites who are coming back after seven years of captivity in Babylon. And he, they are coming back to a very different Jerusalem than the one when they left And this time that they are coming back, they have no king. The walls of Jerusalem are completely destroyed. The temple was burned to ashes. Jerusalem is a desolated and empty city. Very different than when David and Solomon ruled 500 years before they returned from the Babylonian captivity. Imagine that beautiful and gigantic uh, temple that Solomon built was nothing more than a heap of mortar and brick. These people, they had no hope. In fact, they have a lot of work to do as they came back to, to Jerusalem. In fact, their mission as they come back to Jerusalem is to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem according to the decree of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who conquered Babylon. The wealthy and beautiful Jerusalem, an empty and abandoned city. So it is to these people who came back to Jerusalem that the author of Chronicles is writing to. And he is writing to encourage them to begin the reconstruction project 
but also to give them a big picture of God's plan throughout all of these events. It is as is if the author is saying to them, not all is lost, brothers and sisters. Remember God's covenant with our father David. Remember that he promised to establish his kingdom and give him an heir. So the author of Chronicles, he knows that this, this promise was not entirely fulfilled in Solomon. So he's writing to them and say, he's yet to come, this king. He's yet to come. So arise and work. I know that the picture is it's very discouraging, in fact. But arise and build. It's not done with us, with us yet. So this is a little bit of our context. So coming back to our text now. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, let's consider David's thought about this new king who is to... Uh, who is about to be, um, take possession of the kingdom, Solomon, his son. Look what David says in, in verse 5 about Solomon. Look his words. For David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and glory throughout all lands. I will therefore make preparation for it. So David provided materials in great quantity before his death. My son is young and experienced. In other words, David realized that the next king would need help. As a wise leader, David knew that Solomon's task to build the temple was very difficult. And he made sure to, to make some preparations before his death so that Solomon could start his monumental construction project. So the first thing that I want to share with you this morning is that the legacy of a kingdom-minded leader involves labors and ardors Work, and you have that as your first outline in your handout. Now look with me to verse 14. How David talks about his own work, this work of preparing for Solomon to build the temple. Verse 14, chapter 22, verse 14. With great pains I have provided for the house of the Lord one hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond waiting. For there is so much of it, timber and stone too, I have provided. To this you must add. So we are talking about here tons of gold, tons of silver, tons of timber and, and iron. So there was such an urgency to start this construction project. This, the, the construction of the temple. And by working diligently, David left Solomon something to start this project with. So David's legacy for his son was costly and labors. 
And this was the result of decades of wars, endless military campaigns, camping in the wilderness, sleepless nights. He, as the Lord said to him, that he would not be able to build the temple because he shed, he, he shed so much blood because he battled with the surrounding nations. And initially, David wanted to build the temple. He had in his heart to build the temple. Perhaps that was the reason he started gathering all of these materials. We do not know. The altar is not clear. But he desired to build the temple for the Lord. But the Lord said, no. You're not going to do it. Your son is going to do it. And his name will be Solomon. But this did not hinder David to continue in making preparations for the one who actually was chosen to build the temple. He continued in being diligently in pushing forward because he knew that Solomon was young and inexperienced. He needed help and the construction of the temple was very difficult. Leadership that causes impact and inspire others requires or demands arduous work, or we could say it is the result of arduous, diligent work. You all know Cole Bryant, this famous basketball player who passed away in 2020. Some people said that he is the, one of the greatest uh, basketball players of all time. I know he's highly controversial for Michael Jordan fans, but I'm not a basketball fan, so I'm not going to give my opinion. I'll just leave the controversy for after the service for you guys to talk about it. But one very interesting thing about Cole Bryan, if you know a little bit of his regimen, his workout routine, throughout his entire 20 years of career in the NBA, being a basketball, a professional basketball player, he had an insane workout regimen. Before going to the official practices and, and afterwards and sleeping and eating everything, everything in his life was geared towards being the greatest player ever. And in one of his interviews, he's very clear that when he started and when to... Uh, his desire to be an NBA player, he said that his, his dream was to be the greatest of all time. And he started very early in this very um, a robust workout routine. And in this interview, he continues speaking about his, his career. And he said at some moment, at some point in his career, he understood that his goal and his, or his mission was no longer to be the greatest player of all time, but actually to help his team and teammates to win championships and be greater players. He understands that help his teammates and to become better in their craft and, and win games was his goal. But it took years for him to come to that conclusion. 
And I'm just showing that, giving you this illustration to show you that even today he inspires so many um, to work hard and, 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 and give their best and whatever, whatever their craft is. To show you that the truth is that good legacy that will inspire others in any field requires arduous work, or it is the result of arduous work. When we think about Joe McCarter or R.C. Sproul, I know that these guys are up here. When you see their interviews about talking about how hard they work, how diligent they work, and of course, the fruit of that, they have such a, uh, a greater impact that most of us would not have. And of course, the Lord calls us just a few of us and have gifted just a few of us to uh, come to that point. But regardless, the truth remains. Good leadership that inspires others requires arduous and laborers and diligent work. But unlike Cole Bryant, who worked hard during his 20-year 20 years career in search of glory and fame and died at age 42 when he retired actually at the age of 37. So basically he had like just five years to enjoy all the fruits of his work, right? Very unfortunate. So unlike Cobe, leaders in the church are called to labor for a king who is building his kingdom of unfading glory through us. And regardless of our years on this earth, our labor will give us an unfading reward in heaven. Leadership and shepherding our laborers and arduous work. Fellow elders, you do not need a young and experienced leader like me to tell you this, do you? I don't think so. So instead of that, I want to remind you, fellow elders, that your example before your people, the years of your Faithful ministry and pastoral care is one of the greatest legacy, legacies that you can leave for your people. It is okay if you could not buy or build a church building that you once dreamed about. Or have the large church that you thought a faithful gospel preaching church would perhaps uh, uh, attract it's okay if you don't have a large congregation. David also could not build the temple even though he desired to do it. But with his strength, he made provisions so that the next in line would build the temple and continue God's work. You see, the continuation of God's plan, the continuation, the big picture David understood, well, I want to do this, but the Lord has called me, said no. And it's okay to have no's in the ministries, no's in life. Because when we think about God's plan, He's always building His church and will continue to do so regardless if we are here or not. But since we are, since we are, we must make sure that we are being faithful in what He has given us to do. 
As leaders in the church today, we should strive to be faithful so that those who come after us might have a clear picture of what they're supposed to do. They will not be looking around to the horizon what they should do. No, they will look in front of them and actually back to those who walk before them and say, I have a path laid down for me and this is what I'm supposed to do, nothing else. Not supposed to create anything new, but to be faithful to this. That these faithful leaders lay this path for me, this arduous and labors work. Your legacy, my fellow elders, is your people today. And you will leave a mark, and you are, in fact, leaving a mark on the next generation. You can be sure that the sacrifice you made, along with your wife, were not in vain. I'm grateful for your work, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that this church can also join me in saying that we are grateful. So the second thing that I want to share with you is that the legacy of a kingdom-minded leader involves, and you have in your handout, <clears throat> preparing the next generation. Preparing the next generation. And this is where I call the church for this great work. Preparing the next generation is not only the work of the pastors, but the entire church. The whole church. Now in verse 17 and 19, David charged the rulers of Israel, the leaders of Israel, to give their allegiance and obedience to Solomon, his son, who is the next in line. And David charged them, along with his son, the leaders and his son, the leaders of the people and the king, to set their minds and hearts to seek the Lord and work together to build the temple to the glory of God's name. David knew that this temple was big and a, a huge project. And the reason to build that so that the nations will have this promise that the nations will come to worship in this temple where the God would be glorified. And David is charging now the whole nation to give their allegiance, their obedience, and to support this next king who is, who was young and experienced. Now look at verse 13. David encouraged Solomon. Look his words. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. Now in chapter 28, verse 10. Chapter 28, verse 10. David continues this conversation. He repeats this encouragement for the second time for Solomon. Look what he says. In chapter, in verse, chapter 28, verse 10. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house 
for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And still in chapter 28, verse 20, David said, Then David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. You know what we see here? We see that good leaders know that one of the ways to help others is through encouragement, especially the next generation. And the author of Chronicles, he is drawing this encouragement from the deep wells of the scriptures. Look at how the Lord encouraged Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 6. After the death of Moses, and now Joshua has this huge task to lead the people, right? To lead this new generation of Israelites. Their fathers, their forefathers passed away into Egypt. Now they have this huge task to go into this, this new land and conquer this new land. And then Joshua looking to the task to these people and to the task before him, he's afraid. He's fearful. Because he knows whom, who had called him to do that. He knows the promises that God has given to Moses. And he knows that the task is not easy. He searched the land with Caleb. He knew the giants that used to live there. He never denied that there, there were strong giants living in the land. But he believed that God would empower him and the nation to conquer the land. And what was the words of God to Joshua to encourage him to lead the people? Joshua chapter 1 verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's almost as... As, as the author of Chronicles, in writing this to encourage the people coming from the Babylonian activity, is looking to the, to the Pentateuch, is looking to Joshua, to the historical books, and looking to the situation where they are, and say, people, just move forward. Just move forward. The work is hard, but just move forward. In this passage, we see the, these new leaders, Solomon and Joshua, being encouraged to be courageous, to trust in their God, and to lead with confidence. Why? Because God has called them. They did not call themselves. That I will take this. Just give it to me. Is there how many giants? I can take ten with my right arm. Right arm maybe ten with this one. No. They understood that their call was not based on their strength, but on whom who called them to do that. But they need encouragement. They need encouragement. <laughs> Even though they knew all these things, they need encouragement. They were afraid, fearful. Oh, this, this passage, when I read this passage, I, of course I see myself in this. 
we look, when, when we think about the church, when we think about coming before a church and open God's word and preach God's word, I said, Lord, I know that you call me to do this. But I cannot do this in my own power. This task is too great for me to lead your people. It's not something that I'm supposed to do according to my own wisdom. So it's good sometimes to be fearful because it leads us to the one who can give us the courage and strength and confidence. However, the next generation needs more than encouragement. They need our prayers. And David knew this very well. Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18 to 19. We see David praying for Solomon and the nation. Chapter 19, verse 18 and 19. This is a portion of David's prayer. And he says, verse 18, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. So he prayed for the people. Now he's praying for Solomon. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart, that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all, that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. David interceded for his people and Solomon. Before his death, David painfully made preparations for the construction of this project. From, from, from chapter 20, 23 to verse to chapter 21, 28, we see David organizing the army, organizing the priests, the Levites, the musicians, the sacrifice. He just organized the whole thing. He, he took the pains to make sure that everything is, is set in place because he knows that his time is coming and, 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 his, and his son will need help. So he painfully made preparations. And he encouraged him and the nation. In the end of the book of Chronicles, we see David praying for all of them. David took pains to make sure that the next king would succeed in his work and bring glory to God's name. We can only do this when we have the big picture in mind. When we know that God is building his kingdom, that we are not here to build my kingdom, your kingdom, Joe's kingdom, Eli's kingdom, Damon's kingdom, no. It's, it's just, when we have the big picture in mind, we don't care about our name. We don't care what people think about us. We know that God is at work, and I must make sure that I'm part of his work and do what he has called me to do. Is this not what we are trying to do here as a church? To bring glory to God's name? Is this not the end goal of our efforts? To glorify Jesus? And how do we do that? How do we do that? By living and working as a body. We toss away the individual mentality. 
the consumerist mentality, you understand that we glorify Jesus as a church, as a body. It is a collective work. It's a collective work where we join the more mature and more experienced with the young and inexperienced. You can't just, just the young and experienced will not get there. Regardless of how strong you think you are, you're not going to get there. And the more experienced and mature, you will not get there as well. Because the Lord died for all of us as a church so that we can get there together. We can get things done together. And that's the beauty of the church where we see not a homogeneous community, right? We see everyone homogeneous community. Everything to, everyone together. Okay. Sometimes I get confused. So like everyone together doing this work. And it's just such, such, such a build. A beautiful thing to see the church in these terms. And this is how we glorify Jesus. Friends, only criticism of the next generation will not suffice. Regardless of how accurate these criticisms are. I know the shortcomings and the evil of my generation... I know millennials have been accused of being self-centered and entitled to many things. And there's some truth in it. However, criticism without encouragement is not constructive. It's destructive. A well-intended criticism is a good thing. We all need that. However, the best criticism that I have received were always preceded by encouragement and not the other way around. Regardless how well intended your criticism is. In my few years of ministry, I noticed that some of the hard critics in the body are also those who, are, who have an expectator-consumer approach to the church. They stand on the sidelines. They see everything that is wrong. And they're always criticizing. In hard criticism. Hardly you can get any encouragement from them. If you are a sports fan like me, you know that we can be the best fans ever when our team is winning or the worst fans ever when our team is not doing a good season. And besides being a soccer fan, I also play soccer with a couple of friends once, once a week. And I can tell you that the picture you have when you are inside the four lines is quite different when you are outside of the four lines, not playing. Because when you get inside, you see that things are not as simple or black and white as you think they are. When you play, your attitude changes. When you're part of the body, your attitude towards the church and others changes drastically. Why? Simply because you are involved. You are rubbing shoulders with your brothers and sisters. You are sweating in the 
needed greed of ministry. And you see how painful and laborious it is. The same is true for the church. We're not called to be expectators or, or even critics. It's not our call. We're called to join God's work and work. As a church, we are called to actively participate in preparing the next generation for what the Lord has called them to do. And we must work together in such a way that they may succeed. We want them to succeed. We want them to do well. And as David charged Solomon in verse 4, 14 and 16 to continue what he started by working diligently. So it is the charge for the next generation of leaders in the church to arise and work. We have a work to do today in preparing them, but the young and experienced, they have this charge to arise and work. The truth is that you and know you and I might not be here tomorrow. And I read the email of uh, Sister Diane. I think she's not here. I, I'm not sure if... Oh, Sister. And I read your email. And, and, just, and I've been praying for you, for the laws and for your family. And it just reminded me how life is just a breath. We're not... There's no assurance of tomorrow. And the question is, how are we doing today to make sure that the next generation, if we are not going to be here tomorrow, they will succeed, that we are leaving a legacy for them, that they may continue the work that we started. More than that, that they succeed, that they do greater things than we ever done. The church has been doing well for the past 2,000 years without us. But today the Lord has called us to serve His church. You can be sure that the church will continue on until He comes. Because He is the King. The promise of, of 1 Chronicles chapter 17, that God will establish the kingdom of David, was ultimately fulfilling Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. We are on earth. He is building His kingdom through us on earth. We are called to build God's kingdom on earth. You know what is the good news of that? That he already built a house for us in heaven. Where we think that we are building a house for him here, he already built a house for us in heaven. By dying on the cross, Jesus redeemed his disciples. Through his ministry, he prepared, equipped, and encourage them to make disciples. And by ascending up to heavens, he now makes intercessions for each and every one of us. We also, leaders in the church, are called to prepare, equip, encourage, and intercede for the next generation. We not only have an example in David, we see Jesus' own ministry pointing us to the direction that we should go. 
we, the young and experienced, can definitely use some criticism. But don't forget that we and those that come comes after me, perhaps we need even more of your encouragement and prayers. I'm not dismissing criticism. I've been blessed by it when a timely criticism comes from a honest, God-fearing person. It is very good. But don't forget to place on that your encouragement and make sure that you are praying for your brothers and sisters. We need that. And I know that those who come after me, they need that as well. Remember, that what we are building here will not be destroyed by fire as Solomon's temple was. But it will stand forever because it is not we, but God through us who is building His beloved church. And against His church, Jesus promised that the gates of hell and the forces of evil will not prevail. Pastors, we, your legacy is your people. In our work as a church, collectively, is to preach the good news, prepare, equip, encourage, and pray for the next generation so that they may succeed and carry on the work of great commission. And what work is that? Make disciples who make disciples and preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, proclaiming His name, baptizing in His name, until he comes. Yeah, long, as long as I know, he did not yet come. Meaning that we still have a lot of work to do. And we will succeed. As we work as a unified body. Through the grace of the ultimate son of David. Jesus. Who does not live in temple made by human hands but in each and every one of us who had placed his faith in him. Jesus' legacy is his people who are called to follow his footsteps. You are Jesus' greatest legacy. The church is Jesus' greatest legacy. Ever thought of all that? He died for us, for you. So that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can go on and make disciples and share the gospel, and encourage your peers, and prepare the next generation after us to succeed in the work that you are doing and you started. You want them to succeed, to do well, to do greater things than we ever done and imagined. We must equip, prepare, pray, encourage them. And of course, we do need some criticism, because we grow through those things as well. All right. Now, that's all I have to share with you this morning, this afternoon.